Welcome to College and Career Reimagined, a podcast created by the Center for Equity and Post-Secondary Attainment. This podcast is designed to provide listeners with cutting-edge research and best practices, including tips and tools needed to implement equity-based career development and post-secondary readiness for students in the K-16 educational system. Your hosts are Dr. Laura Owen, founder and co-director, along with Dr. Camillo, director of the center. Welcome to today's episode. I am Diana, and I am joined today with our soon-to-be school counseling professionals. We have our students from CSU San Bernardino, Marissa Adams, Natalie Ibanez, and John Smith. Um, I'll give a moment for you to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about your work and what has led you here today. Um, Hi, I'm Marissa Adams. As Dr. Camila said, I am in the Counseling and Guidance Program at Cal State San Bernardino. Um, I am also her graduate assistant as well and have been for the past year and a half. Um, What has led me to this work or part of my journey? So coming out of high school planned my post-secondary journey. So I really took it into my own hands and um, really planned everything myself. Had to look up deadlines, had to look up FAFSA do everything myself pretty much. So um, I after going out of high school, I ended up going to community college, uh, transferred there and graduated my BA in psychology from Cal State Monterey Bay. And then I took a year off, bored what I wanted to do with psychology because there's a lot that you can't do. And I came across this program and I was really excited. And yeah, I just really wanted to help students. So I came into this program and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you for sharing, Rissa. Um, I My name is Natalie Ivanias and I am also at California State University San Bernardino's uh, Counseling and Guidance Program. I'm currently a success guide at Chafee College and I recently finished up my placement as a middle school intern. Um, What has led me to my post-secondary journey um, and where I'm at right now as far as doing this work really comes from my experiences and my background. I do identify as a, um, you know, first-generation Mexican-American student, and along with that, I, um, you know, navigating different barriers that I was not aware of um, going into a four-year university from high school. I attended California State University, San Marcos, and I actually uh, got my bachelor's in business. Really, that happened because I did not know what I wanted to do, and I uh, didn't necessarily um, have the tools to uh, navigate as far as like career readiness. What I did have the tools, though, uh, as far as like helping me navigate the barriers was EOPS. I guess myself getting a master's or thinking that that was out of reach because of financial reasons. But yeah, you know, she really encouraged me and I was able to move forward in my, you know, post-secondary journey. And that's why I'm doing this work to support other students in their college and career readiness path. Marissa and Natalie, thank you. Like, I feel like, I, like we've been together for three years, but I still feel like every day we learn something new about each other. Uh, so thank you for those points. And I can, I can, I can also resonate with some of those as well. Well, hi everyone. My name is John Smith. Wow. I, uh, I feel like my journey was so interesting, but uh, like for just for myself, I'm a San Bernardino native, born and raised, you know, graduated from a local high school, Cajon High School, literally right across the street from the college. I feel like my journey, um, my journey of, uh, I guess, of getting to the counseling guidance master's program 
Because I, I graduated back in 2015 from high school. And but before I did graduate, I was on the fence of going to college. I didn't even think I belonged at a Cal State, at a UC, at a four-year college. I feel like the narrative around my environment of students, um, I mean, when I say my environment of students is I was like that that mid-range 2.3, 2.5 GPA student where we kind of were just coasting along. Like we weren't too bad, but we weren't super great. We didn't get awarded for our grades, but it was more like, hey, you're, you don't have, you know, Ds, you're passing your things. But it was really more of like, I didn't know where I, my life was going to, or my choices were going to take me up until I got to senior year. Um, and I think it was around the time, you know, we applying for colleges and start applying for colleges and you're trying to get into places, you're applying for FAFSA for the first time ever. Um, I'm also first generation. So that was definitely like, oh, the first time I've ever seen any, anything of that. But luckily during that time, I did have a cousin from another family or another household who experienced college and it was kind of like pushing me like, hey, like, I, I got you, like, I can try my best, I'll obviously help you. So I had, like, some help when it came to, like, filling out the FAFSA or, like, you know, someone who was familiar with the language. But when, when it came back to going to college, I got denied from every school I applied to. I think I applied to as many as the free applications that we got for the CSUs. And then um, I think I did two UC applications, got denied, and I was put on the deferral list. I think that's what it's called for the CSU system, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So I took it as I got denied everywhere and I'm not going to college. I'm not fit for college. So I was going to ride the wave of going to the, even going to a CSU locally was seen as use it as your backup plan. You should try to get out of this area. So for me, being that middle student, not an IB or AP or honors uh, class taking student, I took it as, well, everyone else is not even trying to be in San Bernardino. I like, and I, I, I've gotten denied from every other school that I could think of. You know, so I took that as like, I don't belong. But luckily, you know, I had a, a village behind me that, you know, wouldn't let me give up on myself because I was about to give up on myself in that, you know, I guess in that feeling. But even if, if I did choose to go to a two-year, I probably still would end up where I am today. But I had a village pushing me, siblings who, you know, didn't go to college, but wanted to see me grow and wanted to see me be the first one to reach that goal. I'm the youngest of five in my family. So I had older siblings, like my older sister, who's raised me since I was six you know, slapping me aside of my head, like, hey, no, you can do this. Kind of going back, getting back on point. Uh, you know, I finally got accepted. I think I got a conditional acceptance to Cal State San Bernardino as long as I passed my ATG requirements. Um, I did psychology in undergrad, uh, graduated in four years. And um, so I graduated like um, fall 2019. And around that graduation time was when I was applying to this program. I was introduced earlier in my college career maybe my sophomore or junior year in college to the program. I actually met one of one of the professors uh, through the housing department, doc, Dr. Um, Justine actually, and was introduced to, because I, I, I was always saying, I want to be a counselor in some way, somehow. And, you know, they kind of introduced me to the program and what they offered. Um, and when the time was right, you know, come and probably speak to them or, you know, try to try to get in. You know, I think coming into college, I had that imposter syndrome because I was getting denied everywhere. Um, even though I got the conditional acceptance, I still took it at, at a slap. I, I took it like a slap in the face, like, hey, we, we can now let you in because we have space for you. And then when I got to the level of going and applying for grad school, I think I cried every night trying to just get the application done. Because then again, in undergrad, I was graduating with around like a 2.4, 2.5. And, you know, and I went to the informationals and, 
you know, they were like, hey, if you don't have a 3.0, don't apply. Uh, but I stood my ground. And I think I, I even met with uh, one of the admission, the admission ladies at right after the information of eating. I was like, hey, you know, my name is Sean Smith. I'm a 2.5 student. I do not have that 3.0, but I do have support. I'm still applying, you know, and I asked them, how often does a grad program actually accept someone under a 3.0? Um, and she just told me like, hey, as long as you try your hardest, you might have a chance. So I took that chance and here we are. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you all for sharing that. And I will say, I think your future students and clients will be very blessed to have you. What I have found in, in my time as a counselor and working in schools is that oftentimes it's that passion that pretty much matters when you have that passion and you also have that lived experience. You can sit with students and you know what they're experiencing, right? And like we can move from, yeah, the, the administrative stuff needs to happen, but we can certainly lead with sort of that passion and that understanding, right, in that community. And so I think you all really embody that. And I've I've had you all as students, so I, I know you you bring that to the forefront. I just want to dive in and just ask a question in terms of thinking about your trajectory in your time before you become a counselor, right, in your training. I'm just curious to hear a little bit about what about your your experience, right, when you were a student in the K-12 system or even your student, you know, in undergrad? What about your experience? What are some of the similarities that you have seen as a pre-service school counselor, right? Are there things that you experience that you still see today? At my site, I'm currently at a high school site. Recently, myself and our counselors, we went to each senior language arts class and we actually pulled seniors aside and we're asking them, what are your plans after high school? And we had like this whole Google sheet and we had Cal State UCs, vocations, trades, career, everything, every option you could think of. And we pulled each one aside individually and we were asking them, what are your plans? And if they didn't have a plan, then we would take note of that and we would help them further. We'd call them out. What I saw in doing that process was there was a lot that students didn't know. Students that didn't have a plan, they were confused still as to college applications. Oh, can I still submit one? Job applications. Oh, I need to research it. I think this window closed or some, you know, a window closed or college window closed. This vocation program, I don't think they're accepting students with this. A lot of I don't know. When you're asking what's still the similarities, I still see that to this day because that's how it was when I was trying to plan my post-secondary journey. There was a lot that I didn't know. There was a lot that my friends around me didn't know. So it's just really about asking those questions, those questions and getting answers because it could change the whole trajectory and path of your life. Just going based off of that, I was at a high school site as well, and I felt like I saw similarities in what you're reflecting, Marissa. As far as my experiences, I feel like uh, I mentioned that I'm at a middle or I finished my placement at a middle school site. And particularly there, um, it looks like there's initiatives starting in the school district where students eventually have to choose a pathway, whether it's in uh, continuing technical education 
whether it's going to a university, a community college, we basically want to be sure that students have a plan. And that was something that I was just learning about. And it seems like it was fairly new and being implemented. So unfortunately, I'm a little bit limited as far as how that process works or um, the details about that. I can say as at my site at JP College is that I will definitely, I, I work in the Guiding Panthers to Success Center, which is support for students um, within the counseling department. And as a success guide, I, I see students coming in and they will, you know, let me know that they don't necessarily know what they're going or what they want to do, right? That they're, um, we call them explorers and, you know, saying that they're trying to figure that out. Part of me, you know, reassures them like, hey, it's okay that you don't know what you want to do, right? Like that's normal. And I, I think that's a point that I try to get across that like you don't have to know what you need to do at this moment. Um, and I really at that point want to better understand what their interests are, what their previous experiences are, and just kind of meeting them where they're at. Because I feel like uh, sometimes that's what students need is for us to meet them where they're at. Um, but I think that's what I'm currently seeing. And, you know, currently within the community college level at my site, at least is, you know, I, I mentioned that we call them explorers and a counselor will work with them directly to see what pathways they might be interested in uh, while being able to progress like in their educational plan so that their uh, general education is still being completed and they're still on path to um, complete their goals. Yeah, I think for me as well, I did my my second placement at um, Indian Springs High School out here in seven, as part of the Seven Year School District. And I got a chance to work with the senior class. And then more specifically, I was able to work with the uh, African-American students as well who were, um, who, who, uh, sorry, who were part of the senior class. And at that school, I think I worked with about senior, African-American students who did the seniors was 50, is probably about like 52 Um and I, I remembered every single face and every single name because that's how often I got to see them. Um, and it was, a, I think it was a beautiful thing to see. And, but something that was not shocking, but I think shocking for my school, well, I would say shocking, but I think like it was kind of like eye-opening, but also like resonating with me was I saw a little bit of me in, in each and one of them, uh, each and every one of them in some way, but not, not even just the 52 African-American or Black students that I worked with all the seniors that I talked to, especially the students who were like in that middle zone, right? That middle GPA that kind of get lost in the sauce. you know, as we kind of say sometimes, right? Or they may uh, meet with their counselor, uh, but, or they may not, right? Uh, they may they may have some crisis, but they may not. So when it comes to the, I guess the time when it's like time to decide what they want to do, you know, they probably haven't had every, every opportunity, you know, to have those conversations, to talk about just, you know, like, what, what do you want to do, right? I know we probably, you know, what do you want to be? But what do you want to do now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think from there, um, something that really helped me understand was I did see that high schools, but not just high schools, but even at the middle school level, and they're, and they're starting to implement the guided pathways at middle school as well. So kind of more of an introductory. And then when you get to high school, it's a more full-blown course, which I think it's awesome. You know, they kind of get to see it early. They already know what it is early exposure and then when you get to high school it's like okay cool like now now it's more advanced for them and then maybe they can want to take that into a career and I, yeah I think that's a beautiful thing because I, I don't think I've seen that when we when I was that age so that was, that's a thing I, I guess a, a cool thing that's that's been changing um, but also something I guess that's, that's also resonating with me is a lot of I think a lot of the kiddos especially when it gets to their senior year like yeah like, like Marissa said like they still did not know like, it was a lot of I don't knows um, or they they had a plan. They just haven't had the time to sit down with someone 
and just write it out so they can envision it. I help them start a, uh, we call it a Black financial literacy, kind of like a guidance lesson that we did for the seniors who were graduating. Uh, every senior that we had, had obviously had to, have, had to have a plan, just like as Marissa was saying at her school, whether they're going, you know, vocational, whether they're going trade, two-year, four-year, straight to the workforce, what is something that we can do to help them out and get that jump start? And then everyone, I think, also had to have the FAFSA done just in case if they were going to go to school. I think that's actually a California initiative now, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's required. So I think that's awesome too. Because I, I I remember that I was I was that kid who probably filled the FAFSA out <laughs> that last day it was due or even after mm-hmm. the due date. So it's really awesome to see. Like I think as California as a whole, they're trying to do these small things to push like hey families and. And kiddos to like to you know get that get that jump started having something already done so it's one thing checked off the list. You mentioned doing the financial literacy. I'm curious to know a little bit about what that looked like an equity lens, but also mm-hmm. from someone you know who went through this and knows that it can't just be about these bullet points that we usually talk to students about. Mm-hmm. So. Can you share a little bit about what was different about your financial literacy? Yes. Um, And so this was a project that was given to me, my first status lesson to to be had. And so I kind of had free reign, which was also kind of scary because it's like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to give them the wrong information. Uh, but I did have a chance to like, meet with an associate of mine that works with the CSUSB Career Center, who works in the Financial Literacy Center we have on campus as well, um, to get like some good current information for them. But the way that we took it, it was really, so we had two sessions, one that was geared towards students who were A through G uh, complacent or compliant, I believe legible. is the word that they were used. Legible, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, who were on the track for A through G and they also wanted to go or they they're A G, they maybe wanted to go to college or they, I don't know if I want to go to college, but they're A3G. Then we had a second session that were for uh, students who probably weren't A3G, but they, 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 but they wanted to go to college or they wanted to go to, like they had a plan. So the plan was like, okay, even though you're not A3G, what are the steps we can take that might include financial literacy in some way? Um, so I was thinking about, about the first one. So for the A2G students, it was really more geared towards understanding like the cost of college and depending on where you go, how much it could be. So public versus private, two-year versus four-year. I mean, really honing in on the amount of, you know, sometimes like funds that may be taken out, understanding FAFSA at a deeper level, understanding that, yes, you have to apply for this every year, but also looking at cost of attendance. Because I feel like something that I didn't understand until I got to college, until I was actually taking classes, was cost of attendance. And I feel like just understanding that number and how much is on the table or how much uh, the cost of attendance uh, for each college can be could help someone understand like how much they're actually paying. Um, so we tried to focus on cost of attendance. We focused on, you know, uh, I guess extending the introduction of FAFSA and from those two major points, really just honing in on. Uh, so we had like a worksheet for the cost of attendance. So we had them go to the calls that they were choosing or maybe another calls that, that was on like their second or third list that they probably applied to and compare like the cost like, of, you know, whether it was in-state, out-of-state, uh, whether they were living on campus versus off-campus, if they're a commuter, whether, you know, if they had a meal plan, if they didn't have a meal plan. So they can see before they get there, this is how much FAFSA you might be getting, how much you might still need to apply for scholarships or how much your scholarship is going to cover just so they had a number that was real to them. Because I think that was something that I didn't have until I got there. And so I, and I knew like, oh, okay, FAFSA was covering something. Now I still need help. <laughs> so I, you know, and now I knew like, okay, I do need, I do need to carry this part-time job. I might need two part-time jobs, depending on what scenarios we may come from in life. 
For our non-California listeners, who would like to explain A through G? When I think of A through G requirements, um, it's basically certain subjects that students are required to. And for example, it you know can say we require, uh, I believe it's four years of English, right? That's a requirement. Um, and those subjects, of course, uh, aside from the math and the English include like social studies, a fine art, um, uh, a foreign language. So history, social yeah. science, English, math, laboratory, laboratory science, a language, right? As you said, and then uh, art in some way, visual performing art, and then the college prep electives. I was going to say, it should be noted for the non-California listeners too. These are totally different from graduation requirements. Um, usually graduation requirements aren't as extensive. And like Natalie had shared, um, the A through G is to prep you for the four-year or Cal State. As we're talking about this, right, like, and thinking about the students going through this process, you know, how did students that you worked with receive this? Because I'm listening to it, right, and and it's overwhelming, and I, I do this for a living, and I do this work for a living, and I could, I can only imagine how overwhelming our students are, and even our, their parents and families that are helping them through the process, and so how did you notice students and families receiving this information about the plethora of requirements that they have to meet in order to then apply, right, or go to the next step? So for me, being um, in the high school and being in the, the spring semester, graduation's approaching, we were actually seeing a lot of those students that either aren't meeting grad requirements, aren't meeting the A through G requirements, even though they had expected to. So we were we were calling in a lot of those students. And I, I agree that it can be very overwhelming, the requirements to meet. So unfortunately, you would see a lot of students say, just give me whatever classes, whatever zero period I need to graduate at this point. It, like I said, it's really sad to see. And they just ask for anything at that point to just graduate you saw like the the goals that they had just fall I don't I don't know how to explain it but it was it was really unfortunate to see curious right given what you all have seen in your own experience some of the things that we talk about and even Marissa and I talk about this often and my other colleagues we talk about the post-secondary process being very transactional and us needing to be mindful of making sure that we are transformative with students, right? Where we are inclusive and we are equity-minded. As newer counselors to the profession, what would be some ideas or things that you would suggest for us to think about doing post-secondary planning and advising from a not only in an equity and inclusive perspective, but think about it in a way that is much more transformational and less transactional with students and families. I believe that often there's a disconnect with students um, because you're right. I, I do feel like a lot of the processes regarding career readiness is transactional. And that's seen through like, okay, hey, these are the requirements, just do that and you'll be good to whether graduate high school or go to college. Something that's really important is, you know, of, of course, rapport, right? Like building rapport with the students, understanding their background, not only that, but involving their family, their so the social support around them, right, into these processes as well. I, I think that's important, especially from students that come from underserved backgrounds, right? Being able to relate to them and being able to meet them where they're at. And part of that, it can be, you know, doing workshops and doing events, inviting, you know, families that are around like their culture, right? While also being able to give the information that they need. I believe it's trying to build, again, just genu genuine connections with students and 
their social support systems in order to kind of like work work towards that equity focused approach, right? Rather than it just being transactional and maybe not as genuine. I decided to go last on this one. I'm, I'm still trying to like, <laughs> collect, collect my thoughts. But I think uh, something that comes to mind is, uh, and, and now we just kind of hit on it, right? Like having like, whether it's workshops or, you know, maybe having those extra hours with parents or pulling in community members, right? Supporters that want to see, to see their kids succeed. And I, I think when it comes to, one of the first things I think about is, right, Cal State San Bernardino is a uh, first generation going schools, like our students who are identified as first generation. And I think that's also, big. I remember asking like one of my um, professors about it, like, you know, like what makes it first generation? Back when I didn't really know what first generation, I mean, I know what it means, but like what it means deeply. And it's also, it's also the area that we live in. You know, San Bernardino, San Bernardino County and our surrounding counties, like these areas are impacted with first generation, um, are, are still impacted with, you know, people who like families and and and, and I think I think families in the, like definitely underserved um, or even families who are probably new to the area. And I think, you know, with all that and the plethora of like all, all that together uh, or the combination of that, I think about, you know, what are some of the best ways that we can continue to either learn or teach ourselves to make sure that we are not just competent in like academic, but culturally competent, right? And being able to reach out and, and reach out to the families that not just look like our families, but families that look like others. And, you know, and I don't know if this is even on point, but I just kind of think about, right? Like, like I, I think we I had a scenario uh, when I was at it, my internship, we had a student who was, uh, you know, once he, he had all these plans in the world and you know, wanted to go to college, and, you know, pretty good, I would say pretty good GPA range. And he was, he has everything in order, but like kind of thinking about like his support system, he just kept feeling like that. I don't think I belong because my family has, I'm the first to go. Like I, I might be the first to go uh, where he has, you know, mom and dad working right in the household and you know trying to put food on the table and you know keep the lights on or whatever whatnot uh it's sometimes you feel like it's just him on this journey because it's hard for parents to come to the meetings or, or make it because it's during work hours um, or come to the conferences because it's probably right after school but they're not off until maybe seven or eight uh just kind of thinking about those and I, I know we're you know most of us probably going to the education field but i think about also like you know mental health like when we look at the community mental health side you know some clinics try to stay open a little later uh, to support their community because parents um, and, and households are aren't available until after hours so that I think that's also something that you know for us our the next generation of us counselors and therapists and mental health providers is you know how can we continue to expand our resources because we have resources but we need to make sure that we're available to make sure that all of our clients or students are, are getting what they need I always like to go in tangents and, and think about a lot of things but you also mentioned the social capital aspect the individuals and the assets that students families bring and communities bring yes. including those parents and the other adults in the lives of our students what are some other social capitals that you all have seen that could be fruitful for students? So I have personally seen the uh, foundation members or community foundation members donate stuff to our, our schools to get students engaged and involved in post-secondary planning. My site that I was at also has a college and career guidance counselor. So there's even that, which I don't think all schools have, or this is the first I've ever seen of one. Um, that's another position that's there to and available to help students. I've seen a lot of admin involvement, which isn't normal or usual as well. I think as the years go on, a lot more community members are getting involved in our students' post-secondary planning and advising. If I can also add to that as well, I think mentorships are really important. And I say that because 
you know, students from underserved uh, backgrounds, right, or um, who, who come from different backgrounds, they want, may not know exactly how to go about mentorships and have those connections, right, which I think is really important in social capital because they can they can receive that support from, you know, someone as, as far as like being able to guide them. The thing is, you know, we can't expect students to be able to go out and seek that themselves, right, if it's something that they're completely unfamiliar with. So being able to give students not only the tools, but the resources on like facilitating mentorships, like within community members or members in education, depending on what the students need is. And I say that, you know, as someone who has been in mentorships and I personally didn't know how to go about them or realize the importance of them either. And being, you know, kind of going through my journey and uh, whether, whether it was, you know, getting to where I am now at this time in grad school, I, I've had the opportunity to really meet like a lot of, I would say not a lot, but a few community members, different organizations that are also supporting students, um, whether they're a nonprofit, whether they're a church-based group that are trying to get involved, um, maybe, you know, creating MOUs to get involved with, with, with students, or maybe just meeting with students and their families outside of the school as well, and really pushing additional education. Like one that I'll, I'll kind of shout out is uh, Blue Educational Group that's out here in the San Bernardino area. Uh, I got a chance to kind of see what they do and, and who they support. And, you know, they're really big on, you know, getting black and brown individuals, especially black and brown young men, uh, since that number is very low for college going and college, not just college going, but also college retention or post-secondary retention, I guess we could say. And they, uh, I, I learned things that I didn't even know was available um, to me at the time when I was applying to college. And I think students now, you know, as we say, our A through G is a California thing, right? It's a California UC, US, uh, uh, CSU system thing. But when it comes to, you know, someone being eligible and competitive outside of California, like they can still go to college. I didn't know that. I didn't know I can apply to a different state on certain, on certain, uh, you know, transfer programs, national programs, or even like the WUI program. I don't know if you guys heard about the WUI program. These other programs, like I, I learned this through them, and this is something that they, you know, give to parents and they host, whether it's, uh, uh, we call them guidance lessons, right? But they'll host like, you know, their after, after hours, uh, you know, family get-togethers, family engagement meetings, help uh, parents kind of create their own I guess it's a version of a PTA, but uh, I can't remember exactly what the acronym is. I think it's an APAC, African American mm. Parent Association or something like that. So they help, you know, these whatever, like I, I remember at that time when I was with them, kind of working with them for a little bit, they were helping like uh, a couple of high schools out in the Rancho Cucamonga or the, I think it was Rancho Joint Unified. They were partnering with a couple of schools out here in the California, uh, sorry, San Bernardino School Unified and also Colton Joint. Um, helping the uh, African parents of those communities build their own APACs and try to, you know, hopefully be strong enough to just continue and pass, you know, kind of pass the torch down to the next set of parents and students. Um, so those students in those areas were supported, had that additional information. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I think about, like, I, I guess, to kind of sum all that up, community members, um, and but also like active participation from them. Because sometimes you have community members, but it's like, are they really about the students? <laughs> you know, and I think that's that, that like, being able to see someone actually do that and, and put that on and really give the power to not try to hold the power, but give the power and the tools to the parents of these students. Like that was a beautiful thing for me to see. And I hope that, you know, that's something that maybe we can do even at the schools already, you know? Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's powerful, right? Like giving that power to the parents, to the students. And it's not something that we often see modeled, right? Or we mm -hmm. see it. So I'm, I'm so glad that you've had that experience to see what that feels like. 
and how it actually can be fruitful, right? In yes. so many ways. And I think I can go on a tangent, but often we forget, right? And there's that fear mm-hmm. of like, if we give them or if we give up some power and control over this process, you know, our policies and our practices no longer trump, right? The All these requirements that we have and, and it's actually wrong. So thank you for, for sharing that. I appreciate it. I, I, I have so many thoughts, y'all. Like my mind is in, I want to talk about all these things, but uh, Marissa, I want to put you on the spot a little bit because I know you've been doing some work in trying to sort of understand what is out there in terms of our literature and trying to really understand what are ways that we can continue to support a lot of our minoritized students. And I just want to kind of give you that space to share a little bit about what you have been able to uncover. And the research that I've done, I have found that students share a perceived lack of social support when it comes to post-secondary planning and advising. So some of the things that I have found were family support, um, what familial obligations these students have and what that will look like once they are in their post-secondary journey. Um, I've also found that nurturing relationships are extremely important for our students. And we've talked about it already, but just who is involved in their post-secondary journey, different community members, members on school, um, and make sure that those relationships are strong to help foster that that post-secondary journey. And then I've also found that messages that are delivered to our students are important as well. So I found that there's a term called colorblind messaging. And what it is, is messages are delivered to students without their background, their culture in mind. Messages, um, students might think messages don't apply to them, but they do, or the opposite. So it's really just being about being intentional with what we're saying and how it's delivered. And again, making sure our relationships are strong with our students and the connections are strong. That's yeah, what I found in my research. And we've all talked about what we can do in the future. And I think in the future, as future counselors, as we graduate, keeping those those things in mind. And we've talked about being flexible with students, adapting to students' needs and family needs, and considering their family obligations. And when they're when we're helping them with their post-secondary journey, just keeping all that in mind and knowing that every student's different, every background's different, every story is different. So we got to treat um, each student uh, differently and be intentional with how we help them. And as you all count down your few days uh, before you transition to professional counselors, I'm just curious, what are you excited about? I know it sounds cheesy, but I'm just excited for the future. I I, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what it's going to look like right now, but I'm excited to take everything that I've learned and put it into practice. And I know we already have been putting it into practice in our placement sites, but just really being out there on my own, ready to advocate for students and ready to just start some change. I agree with Marissa. Um, I'm excited for our roles, whatever that might look like, and really just being able to work with students and ideally, hopefully being able to provide them with the supports, right? That, you know, I came in here wanting to learn and the tools. When I hear that question, it can be like so loaded, but (laughs) (laughs) I think um, I'm excited for a lot, but I think one of the main points I think I want to try to highlight is the counselor that I once needed. When I think about it, I kind of get emotional because it's like I've been trying to speak counseling, counselor, therapy, therapist, 
mental health specialist, whatever the case is, into my life um, for so long. I think since uh, since about 2013, <laughs> if I want to put a year on it, but been walking this 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 tightrope of uh, you know always having counselor into like my like my social media tags or you know my nicknames or whatever it is like all my friends and all like family members they like like I think uh, I had saw some of my aunts a couple of months ago and they're like oh yeah you're about to graduate okay counselor <laughs> and it's it's cheesy but it's like I am this close to really finally speaking into existence of what I've always I guess dreamt of doing for so long and who but who knows in reality you know this might be the goal for now but I, I just I'm just so proud of the road that I took no matter how long it was or what happened like I'm just really and sometimes I feel like you got to be a little selfish I'm proud of me I'm proud of my strength to get through everything and get to this point um, but also I'm so grateful to have the village, the chosen and created village that I do have behind me, always pushing me and always challenging me to be the better me that I can be. And, 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 and I think with, with all these traits and goals and this opportunity that I've had, um, you know, I look at, like, I, I want to help the next John Smith. I want to help the next, their own, you know, person come and be the next black counselor or probably be the only, you know, the next, hopefully not the only black male representing that imposter syndrome. I think when, when we started this program three years ago, just to kind of go on a little tangent, there was two African-American males. I was one of them when we first started day one. And I think by like day three, he was gone and there was only one. And that's been something that's always ate me alive, but also pushed me to be like, if, if, if I don't do it, who will? But also being that representation, hopefully for this local school district or maybe, you know, a nearby one where I choose to hopefully reside or get a job. Um, but seeing with who's in this district now, there's, I mean, out of like 150 plus counselors, there's only three Black men, only three, uh, and one at each level. And, you know, that was something that I was like, I'm proud to see because we stand out in the room, but also we shouldn't be the unicorn in the room. And I think that's something I've always, like, I can't wait. I just can't wait to add and be that fourth or be that that Black counselor that someone sees and someone can see representation. And hopefully that they just use it in a positive way to push themselves to be what they want to be and do what they want to do. And I hope that I can give them or just show them that they already have the tools to, to reach their goals. Thank you. Um, I think what I, I'll just say, I am so blessed and humbled to know you all. I know how hard <laughs> you all work to get through this and, and embody and, and go through the process of being ready. What is very different in our program than many other programs is that it is a three years master's program versus a two years. So you've endured three years of, of this process. What are some things that graduate programs should also consider, right? Are there things that perhaps we have blinders on about when we think about preparing students for being ready to provide post-secondary planning and support and advising, right? And so other things that perhaps programs should be mindful of, and this would be programs, you know, just across yeah. the board, right? School counseling yeah. programs across the board. I think uh, the first thing that jumps in my, my spot, I'm just going to jump in there forever, is uh, 
And I'm not saying that they don't, because I know that when when I applied to this program and when I, because I, I applied to two master's programs and thankfully, and, and, and by the grace of whoever was looking out for me, I got accepted to both. And that was an awesome, beautiful thing to see, because coming from a student who got denied everywhere, said, hey, you got accepted two for two. Let's go. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. And I'm not saying that programs don't do this, um, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're not a part of any hiring or not hiring, not hiring committees, but we're not part of cohort committees or whatever we call them. Don't underestimate the, the little guy, the little person when it comes to a GPA weight. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I probably, you know, especially part of our cohort, I'm probably not the only one that was around like a, a lower end of the GPA. And I think that's something that was beautiful that helped me get in was probably like they looked at my application and who I was holistically, the whole me, what I brought to the table. Um, I mean, I, I think that's what it was. I'm, I'm a bank on that. <laughs> and I think going forward, you know, for future cohorts or future programs for any any program similar to ours, um, just don't forget that that spark, that 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 step because I feel like that's so important to give everyone a shot. I know there's sometimes there's only selective seats, there's only a certain amount of numbers you can add to a cohort, but to look at everyone that applies to your program. After I interviewed and after I, I did like the online application, it's like probably the first time I ever did a job application, the first time I ever did a job interview. She kept it real with me and she she did something that I, I don't think any like hiring managers or supervisors would do. She told me how I did for both of those steps. It was a two-step process, right? The resume, submitting your cover letter and everything. And then you did the interview. During that process that I got to see on the other end, you know, she has mentors help her kind of go sort through and look at all the, you know, hundreds of job applications that come in to become a mentor. And there's always kind of like three, like three piles. The, hey, we want this person. This, this is a really strong application that maybe pile in the no pile. I was in the no pile. <laughs> that first time around but when I came in for that interview I killed it and, it, and it's something that I learned was everyone has a different mindset everyone everyone you know we, we look at we look at applications in a different way sometimes uh, but the way she had that system of she would pull from all three piles and give you know an equal an equal amount of chance because you never know what hidden gem is going to be in the you know that diamond in the rough and honestly I feel just kind of going back to, you know, I, I you have to be proud of yourself that so wherever I came from, whatever my GPA was, like it didn't define me. But it was hard for me not to think of that. Like I had to get out of that mindset because of imposter syndrome, because of I feel like I could have done more. But also I came from a background that I had to work maybe two jobs while being in college, you know, come, come from a background that we didn't have money to pay for school and didn't have money saved up for school. So just really paying attention to all that and respecting all that from someone's background, they can make if I can also add to that, uh, again, thanks for sharing, John. I'm also, I, I realized over the years that not every program includes a social justice framework or has that perspective in their program. And that was something really important for me when I was looking into different programs. Cal, Cal State San Bernardino had it, right? And yeah, I, I mean, I see it in the work with students, right? You know, people who come from different programs and we all have different perspectives on things, right? But especially right now and being able to like support students, I do think taking that social justice lens into consideration is really important. I don't have much to add because what John and Natalie said was great already taking into consideration um, people's backgrounds and being intentional with what's delivered in the program like Natalie said social justice um, teaching us to be culturally responsive counselors because that's how we're going to help students in the future and I'll ask the question that we ask all of our guests upon closing what is one tip 
or piece of advice that you would like to share with the adults who are helping to prepare students for life after high school? So I thought about this question a lot and I was thinking and to sum it up, I feel like adults that are helping students prepare for post-secondary their post-secondary journey should it's what will best serve students and the information can already be overwhelming so just really being that source of support for students and making sure you know as much as you can to to better help them and help them on their path. I'm also thinking about and I've said this um, in the beginning but like meeting students where they're at. Um, I think sometimes as counselors Yes, you know, we are knowledgeable about certain things, right? But there's some things that we can miss. And we don't know that unless we have those discussions with students as far as what their goals are and um, being able to provide them like with the guidance that they need, right? Um, And again, that kind of goes back to equity because every student needs something different. But being sure that their needs are being met, whether that's like through basic needs, right? Um, Making sure their basic needs are met to meet their goals because sometimes that's an issue. Um, But yeah, just meeting students where they're at. Small things that come to my mind are, you know, like just don't forget, like, you know, that student is still a human being at the end of the day. That student is still learning, right? How to be who they are. They're still trying to find themselves. Be patient. And I know it's probably easy for us to say because we're still, you know, searching for our positions. We're still like eager to get into the field. And, um, you know, and I I have seen others probably experience whether it's burnout or maybe just, you know, them trying to figure it out. But to, you know, never never forget, like, you know, that person that's in your office, they need you. Um, And, you know, uh, they're and they're not just daily check-in I think it, it's deeper than that you know they're not just another proper support <laughs> they're not just another uh, GPA that you need to you know check off the box that you talk to and it's a person you know it's uh, this person is a and it's it's a growing they are a growing person and they need someone to go to whether you know because as analytic students are going to come to us as as we are the experts and I think one last point I will make is do not be afraid to say you don't know, because we might not know every single thing in the world or, or just in that moment. We might not know exactly how to help, but also don't be afraid to, one, let that be known, but make a plan. Like, hey, you know, I don't know right now, but you know what? Let's work together to figure this out, because I want to make sure that I support you the best that I can. This has been College and Career Reimagined with Dr. Owen and Dr. Camillo from the Center for Equity and Post-Secondary Attainment. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to having you join us on the next episode. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, subscribe, or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Instagram at SDSU SEPA. You can also contact us at SEPA at SDSU.edu. That's C-E-P-A at SDSU.edu. Till next time.